time of the year. It's Optimism Vaccine, episode 57 of the Op- that cast, and it's my favorite holiday, my personal Christmas. It's, it's Dumpuary, and today I'm lucky enough to be joined by some of my favorite dump daddies and shit cats. Uh, I got Adam Myros here. Hi, Steve. Hey, you like that little intro I did? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you could showcase those pipes. That's right. I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get on American Idol via Optimism Vaccine, so that's, that's my goal for 2018. Uh, your voice needs a little more of a, a warble, I think. That's what they go for. I gotta, I gotta do, like, the, like the Whitney shit? Yeah, that's, that's what you need on that show. All right. Working on my Whitney shit. Uh, Jake's here. Hey, oh, that was a pretty good Andy Williams you did there, Steve. Well, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, you're... You're welcome. And uh, I think American Idol's been off the air for about five years now. Well, uh, I'll go on. What's the one where they hit the button and the chairs turn around? Um, the voice. The gong show. The voice, man. The gong show. <laughs> Maybe I'll make it on the gong show. Uh, there you go. Hey, Don't get gonged. I, I will never get gonged. Eric Bailey's also here. What's up, Steve? Not too much. Mr. New York filmmaker. Mr. Broadcasting live from Brooklyn. Yep. How's your floppy pizza, Brooklyn boy? My my what pizza? Your floppy, your floppy pizza. Your pizza is floppy. It's, it's delicious. It's great. It's pizza. It's floppy. It's Fine. pizza day. I, I never I never question the deliciousness. It is pizza day. Uh, I'm just saying your pizza's floppy. That's all. You got to fold it. It's a real flaccid slice. Real flaccid <laughs> slice. I like a I like just a thick, hard, turgid slice of pizza. <laughs> just. Ugh. Right there. Just fit it all in my mouth at once, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Can't do that when it's all flaccid and folded. Uh, Sean <laughs> Glittis is here. How do you like your pizza, big boy? Uh, I like it chewy. Chewy? Yeah, that's good. You ever have a pizza cone? <laughs> Bro, <laughs> Milwaukee zone? No, Milwaukee I haven't. Zone pizza cone. You're fucking missing out, man. Come on. I'm sure. I'm sure. It's, it's great. Waffle cone? Did they do like a waffle cone? Uh, it's it's non waffle, unfortunately. That that technology hasn't been developed yet. <laughs> but you know, maybe one day. Uh, maybe once they do. Oh, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. All right, gentlemen. Well, we should really just dive right into this because we got a lot to talk about. But so for for people who don't know, Myros, why don't you explain what Dumpuary is? Uh, Dumpuary. That's that's when the studios decide that your your movie's not uh, worth a shit, and so they they just kind of foist it upon the general populace. Uh, generally, in in January after award season kind of clears out. I think there's some strategy to it, though, right? Like it's it's more of like contrasting prestige time with just like some of the stuff we'll talk about here. I don't I don't think it's it's just like some action stuff, you know. It, whether it's good or not, it's just kind of like light. Sure. Yeah, but it's not action stuff they expect anything out of. It, it, I think it's just like traditionally a 
a low volume period of time for uh, ticket sales. So they right. Yeah. So when you say worth a shit, you mean like ticket sales? Uh, also quality. Yeah, that's that's. I, I think quality is a big part of it because I mean, there's obviously good things that come out in January and February, but at the same time, it's just I think low expectations is is right. the key, really. Monster truck style. Oh God, I forgot we watched that last year. That was that was real fun. That's probably the toughest experience I've ever dealt with. That was my fucking Vietnam watching some <laughs> <laughs> some jackass who took a camcorder into monster trucks so that I could watch it for a podcast. <laughs> Jesus, take the fucking wheel! Oh my God. Uh, well, not that not that this year was much better because the thing is with Dumpuary is we watch a lot of shit, but. Most of the time, it's just so overwhelmingly shitty that I, I get some perverse amusement out of it. And this year, I'm not really feeling it. I, I'm, I'm not. And I'm going to go ahead and blame Netflix for everything, since they are the new vanguard of all that is dumpuary, as far as I can tell. Uh, <laughs> they seem to have gotten into this habit of just buying up shit that studios think is going to fail. So instead of the studio pushing it out and hoping for the best... Uh, Netflix just sort of swoops in and buys it for some untold sum and then uh, throws it up on a streaming service. And here we are. Which just happened with with, uh, Cloverfield Paradox, correct? Cloverfield Paradox, which I just finished earlier. And oh my, that was like, it was like passing a kidney stone. I would rather, like, just, I'd rather piss jacks out of my dick. Then, and I'm talking about you know the guy with the rubber ball that you pick up, not not Jack Eason, Optimism Vaccine Contributor. Or like, I was going to ask, yeah, if your our colleague uh, Jack would get yeah, I, out I would your... actually, I would rather like just blow Jack Eason through my urethra than watch Cloverfield. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to ask if you if you meant uh, Jack's Pizza. Oh, Jack's um, Pizza, I would because it is Pizza Day. It is Pizza Day. I I would full I would, circle. I would pass a Jack's Pizza through my dick. But only cook, not frozen. I'm not a masochist. Yes. I, okay, so before we get into the Cloverfield Paradox uh, content, but uh, because you you just talked about the the fact that Netflix is kind of like building this scheme to, to buy stuff and dump it. Sure, sure. Uh, I want to read this quick uh, excerpt from Cam Austin Collins' piece on the, on the Cloverfield Paradox. Okay. Uh, you can't blame a movie studio for trying to cut its losses, but something about all of this stinks. Like congratulating the local power plant for engineering new ways to dump toxic waste in your backyard. The local fauna are sprouting three heads and new grass won't grow for ten generations. But at least Netflix got to prove it can con with the best of them, right? The Cloverfield Paradox cost Paramount, its original backer, $40 million to make. And while watching it doesn't remotely clarify where all that money went, it does explain why a company would cook up a smoke and mirror show to prevent us from measuring the movie's worth in box office receipts. And it more than explains why Netflix is an ideal partner in crime for doing so. I think that speaks. I, 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 I obviously it's taken to an extreme, but uh, I like the the image of of people who are just like, yeah, you did it, like congratulating them on finding a corporate scheme. Yeah, it's it is kind of weird. And the other thing is is there's been this weird backlash too, where people are almost like spitefully loving things like the new Cloverfield movie just because you know I just I love the Cloverfield series and I'm just so glad that Netflix was able to rescue this and like 
just keep it going, man. It's like, no, fuck you. It, it's not, that's not okay. That's not a good reason. You're not rescuing anything. That's what does that mean? There is no fucking Cloverfield series. Yeah, who are these people that supp- that ostensibly love the Cloverfield series? Like, oh like the first God. two are fine, but it's like they're nothing to write home about. Dude. But they're not. They're not the same thing. They're not connected in any way. It's just they're buying scripts and slapping that branding on them. That's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> and let me tell you who these people are. These are the same people where uh, when I went into I went when I went to work yesterday. Uh, a bunch of the girls in my office were talking about like TV, and they were all fawning over the show This Is Us. And uh, I was just like, isn't that the show where like a crockpot fucks a bunch of shit up? And then they all got really upset with me because I guess I dropped some major spoiler. These are the people <laughs> who get upset about This Is Us spoilers are the same people who are just pining for a movie with the name Cloverfield slapped on it. These, it's the same, same yeah. brain, brain, brain wavelength. <laughs> I, it's... Oh God, and 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 kind of getting into what this movie is and what Cloverfield's about. Cloverfield is first and foremost as a, a series, and we'll put like big, heavy finger quotes around the word series. It's mostly like a J.J. Abrams marketing scheme uh, mm. in a in a loosely tied together sort of sci-fi universe uh, that has big, giant monsters that may or may not matter, and also John Goodman. John Goodman is part of the Cloverfield world, so that's that's always good. Uh, but obviously the first one was a you know found footage kind of Godzilla monster movie. Uh, the second one, which and I, and I, I, I like 10 Cloverfield Lane, the second movie, uh, quite a bit, uh, except for the part where they kind of slap Cloverfield monsters on it at the end. But uh, I, I thought it was a nice choice to take a movie that was originally this big monster movie and found footage and kind of flip it on its head and make it a much more intimate film because it's about John Goodman uh, kind of keeping this woman locked up in his basement as John Goodman often does. Uh, but this movie, it, it's the great thing about the Cloverfield Paradox is whenever you look at a series and you're trying to figure out just at a cursory glance, like, where did this jump the shark? One of the best ways to tell where, some, where a series jumps the shark is when do they go into space? And here we are, the Cloverfield Paradox, Cloverfield in space. It happened with Ernest. It did. It did. It, it, I mean, it happened with uh, with Jason in uh, you know, yeah. Friday the Thirteenth series, uh, the Leprechaun series, Leprechaun in Space, a complete tragedy of a film. It's it's fucking abysmal to watch. So yeah, never send your series into space. Terrible things can only happen. I don't actually think Ernest ever went to space. I, I was just looking that up. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, don't think I was just I was just going with. It. I mean, I know I know Ernest. We gotta get back to Earth. <laughs> I mean, he's he's been to Africa. He's been he's played basketball. He's, oh, he's gone he's to, jail. to jail. Yeah. Why why just, hasn't he been to space? Oh uh, okay. Steve, you said you said uh, a series jumps the shark when it goes to space. Sure. I think a series goes to space when they've run out of all ideas because yeah. Friday the Thirteenth went bad well before Jason X. That's true. That's true. I will Muppet, I will go to Muppet bat for spooks. Jason Takes Manhattan though. I will go to bat for that movie. Sure, sure. By all the means. worst, the worst Muppets movie is the uh, Muppets in Space. Agreed. Agreed. There you go. That was the only uh, time that my my dad ever got really mad at me for something that wasn't my fault because I really wanted to go see Muppets in Space. So he took me and my brother. And he said it was the worst movie he'd ever seen, and he was like legitimately <laughs> upset with me for like two days. I don't even think <laughs> does that movie even go to space? Uh, yeah, Muppets in Space. I think so. Yeah, 
I thought it was all like uh, just about Gonzo being from space. And- I mean, it's yeah. it's got some close encounter vibes to it, but space is still an important part of it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I so, think to understand the, how the Cloverfield movies work, you really need to sort of contextualize uh, their releases. Because I remember in the summer of 2007, when I saw Transformers 1, uh, there was a trailer for the original Cloverfield attached, but it didn't show anything. It was just a, a city under attack by some unseen force, and it didn't even have a title. It just had, like, a website. And then it became this huge, for the next six months, it became this huge viral marketing phenomenon that people on the internet just went crazy about. And then when the movie came out, it was just a found footage movie, which is why found footage movies became popular is because Cloverfield did well at the box office. And that was originally a January release and, uh, and people, yeah, people went crazy for it and, 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 uh, and then nothing came of it except for a gluttony of found footage films. And then cut to 2016 there's 10 cloverfield lane which people got crazy about because they again the trailers didn't show much but it's got the name cloverfield in the in the title of the movie so it has to mean something right mm-hmm. and i agree with steve that i think the film itself is largely fine except for the whole sci-fi third act which apparently was reshot to fit the cloverfield mold ah, because and uh yeah and now we have the cloverfield paradox which the first trailer was released in the middle of the Super Bowl, and then they announced that the movie would be available to stream immediately on Netflix after the game, which, again, everyone went crazy about because it's a new Cloverfield movie, which is actually just a reworking of the original film. It was called The God Particle, and then they're like, fuck that, this is going to be a Cloverfield movie. And then they must have saw how terrible it was because they're going to be like, all right, fuck the April release, we're going to release it on Netflix after the Super Bowl. Yeah. And, and here we are. I, I like, I like the, the timeline for these. It just gets like shorter and shorter. Like, oh, you know, we wait six months for Cloverfield after they tease it. And then 10 Cloverfield Lane, it was like a month out. And then we find out it's a Cloverfield yeah. movie. And this one, they just drop it on us like, you have one hour. And then it, this shit's going to hit On the same you. day. Yeah. I, I saw, and I saw a tweet that was kind of like breaking down this timeline. And they're like, so the next Cloverfield movie, J.J. Abrams is just going to drive by your house and throw a Blu-ray through your window. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, physical right. media is dead, Steve. JJ nah, uh, wouldn't stoop to that. But I, why? Why did they pick this script? I wonder. This is like watching this. It doesn't <laughs> seem like something that would have ever been released into theaters. Uh, much less something they would attach a property. Uh, no. The properties. The property's dead because of this. There's it, no way. Th- this is terrible. It seems like the kind of like if, if I had if I was you know Mr. Producer if I'm JJ Abrams and I'm sitting in my office smoking a cigar with my feet up. Uh, and, and somebody drops this in front of me. The only thing I write on it is like with a big red pen. It just says revise. That's there's, <laughs> there's so much shit. And this think, is, it's, it's the most bloated thing I have seen in years. It's insane. Go ahead, Eric. What were you going to say? I, I think like, like with speaking of JJ, I, I guess maybe I should save this for after you guys discuss the film itself. But I think like, I think this whole series sort of speaks to his sort of strengths as a sort of filmmaker producer and also like why he's also kind of terrible. Like he's, he's essentially, he's the greatest hype man in show business, but like in terms of like being a great filmmaker or finding interesting projects, like he's like, he's great at marketing, but not actually like 
creating interesting films or series or anything. Like he can't like there's that famous video of him at a Ted talk talking about his mystery box approach to storytelling. And it's just like, he basically sums it up as like, like I, there's this box and it's enticing and I don't know what's inside, but that's the whole point. It doesn't matter what's inside. All that matters (laughs) is that it's enticing. And so he's like, he's a community, he's like a marketing, uh, executive basically. Yeah. He's all he is. Like, like I read somewhere and I totally agree with this. I can't remember who tweeted it, but it's like, you know, someone said JJ Abrams masterpiece isn't star Wars, the For- force awakens. It's the trailer for star Wars, the force awakens. Like that's his masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, that's... And you know, what? I agree with that. Like, like I'd rather watch the trailer for the force awakens than the actual movie. Oh yeah. 100%. Like... All JJ Abrams is, is he's, he's PT Barnum, but with more lens flare. That's it. There's, there's nothing. <laughs> exactly. He's a, so like, what, the P.T. Barnum thing, it's like, and I think it's, it's, it's telling that, like, you know, the, the only like thing. like P.G. Barnum. <laughs> oh, Thanks, Sean. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's telling that, like, the only, like, interesting or, you know, at least in my opinion, good thing that he's ever been a part of is Lost. Is like, he, but, like, he, he peaced out after the pilot episode of that. And so it's just like, and so he leaves Damon Lindelof to basically, you know, we can get into a whole debate about like the merits of loss or anything, but you know, I think it's telling that like, he doesn't stick around. He just sort of like sets up the whole show and then he's like, bye. It's like, so I don't, so I don't have to deal with like actually right. answering any of the questions, following up on any of the character work or, or and stuff like that. Like I just set it up. Yeah, he that. seems to have his his like fingers on the pulse of uh, a lot of like mainstream viewership, mm-hmm. uh, and that's 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 where it stops. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Uh, I I don't. I think he maybe we're underselling him a little because he, he it's not like he had any real involvement with this. It, it's just I I guess they didn't see much value in the franchise because they <laughs> essentially just threw a grenade. Uh, on it just to save this one property they had this this terrible million turd of a movie yeah a terrible turd of a movie and they just jj basically came up with a scheme to get people to watch it and uh that's fine but i i don't think they can expect anything else and no one's going to see the name cloverfield again and be like "Ooh, <laughs> i'm excited it's like no fuck you <laughs> i don't know right I- I, I wanted to see, like, I, I wanted to get, after I watched this, I'm like, okay, there has to be some people out there who are really into this. So uh, I went second opinion hunting on Letterboxd, and I'm going to see if I can find this again. But it was, it was literally... Yeah, I want to hear what this movie's actually about. So the first five-star review that came in for Cloverfield on Letterboxd, five stars from this guy named Logan, and his review just says, haven't finished it. Pretty drunk, but I like it so far. <laughs> yeah. He's, Second five He's star like, review. I was a Patriots fan. <laughs> Second five star review. Go fuck yourself. I thought it was great. <laughs> That's from Spencer. <laughs> That's like, from Sp- Spencer Pat's fan 420. Yeah. That, that's. Uh, a- I mean, and, yeah, and then I, there's another one too, like the the third one down, and th- this there's already reservations. Five stars. Uh, it just says, I guess once again, I'm gonna have to be the odd one out, <laughs> like just defeated by the fact that they enjoyed this movie. 
Who was that by? Uh, that was by uh, George the Jet. Uh, and then someone oh, else. Oh, a Jets fan. Yeah, someone else named Lex gave it five stars and described it as uh, Black Mirror and Event Horizon. <laughs> that's that's what uh, I said. Well, it certainly takes some inspirations from yeah. Event Horizon as well as every other space movie ever made. Uh, yeah, I, I, Sean says he wants to know what it's about. I, I wish I could elucidate more, but. Uh, I, it it uh, it's a really just a hodgepodge mess. It, it, there's some sort of a vague environmental crisis that they're attempting to solve in space with a particle accelerator, mm-hmm. and it it explodes, and they are transported to some alternate dimension on the other side of the sun, and uh, I yeah, safe that, already. right. Then there's there's like. A bunch of bullshit happens. There's some worms in a guy, and uh, yeah. a mystery crew member just pops up, and and a woman has to make a a tough decision about whether to join her her family on a parallel dimension or uh, go back to the real Earth where her children have been catastrophically murdered in a accident of some sort. Uh, but it, it it's shit. It, it's fucking awful. I actually, I, I have a theory about the script. I, and I think, I think this explains the whole thing if, if you want, cause you know, all films are puzzles. So I, I solved this one. Okay. Here's the script. <laughs> so the, the, the screenwriter, okay. They're on YouTube and, uh, they're watching one of those, what culture, like top 10 lists or whatever. And it's top ten sci-fi films of all time. And it's like, oh, Solaris and, and Alien and Sunshine and that shitty movie that Ryan Reynolds was in last year and that other shitty movie that he was in. And Passengers. Yeah, Passengers and Life and, and just – and you go down the list. So literally name a sci-fi movie of note. Uh, Event Horizon, anything that happens in space basically. And it, he goes, I should write right. a movie. He takes oh, a big fat weird. rip from his bong. And then he goes, he he downloads all these scripts, and then he just kind of goes like page by page, and he just copy pastes from each script like one or two pages, and then he makes and then script. changes and then changes the names here and there, and then just like there done that's script. It, that's it. So it's like uh, it's like copy pasta the space movie. It that is exactly what it is. It's complete like dog shit, and it's it's hilarious too because. Nothing really happens. None of the characters develop. They're not even characters. They're just like pieces of cardboard with voices. And somehow it is way too fucking complicated. It's like, oh, yeah. How could it be so hollow and yet so full of shit? It's insane. Uh, (laughs) That's the paradox. (laughs) That is the paradox. That is the paradox. We figured it out. Yeah, and you know, if you're like watching an episode of like Star Trek: The Next Generation, and between every scene, there's just a, a shot of the Enterprise floating through space. That's this. <laughs> every single scene, it's like, oh, there's the space station again. There it is again. There it is again. And I, you know, if you're wondering after watching Cloverfield, uh, what Cloverfield meant, we've got your answers. It's just a fucking space station. Uh, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but. I guess that's that's what the first movie means, or yeah, something like Wait, that. Wait, Cloverfield is the name of the space station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's that's it. <laughs> that's all there is I don't know it. why. Uh, it's not all like right. Bill Cloverfield or something that that they named it after, but. <laughs>
Uh, clearly, right. this is just like a script that was written in the height of like the Higgs boats and uh, paranoia and somehow just got kicked around to the year 2018. Yeah. Are you guys are you yeah, guys waiting for Neil deGrasse Tyson to weigh in on whether or not it's accurate about how it portrays alternative universes? That's really funny you said that because I think uh, Matt Singer uh, tweeted, has Neil deGrasse Tyson weighed in as to whether or not how realistic it was for a guy to lose his arm from a moving wall of a ship? <laughs> yeah, why did that Wait, even happen? There was things that were so, like matter yeah, so displacement, but that, exactly. that just meant nothing. <laughs> yeah, they so they're in this alternate dimension, but yeah, uh, matter becomes more malleable, I guess. And Chris O'Dowd gets his arm stuck in a wall, and he loses the arm, and he seems almost completely fine with it. And then later, the the arm comes back as like a sentient creature from another dimension and it's able to write information that only the arm knows and, but it, none of it like makes any sense at all yeah, so there's no explanation for why yeah. things occur i mean there's there's things that are like that make sense like the worms in the guy it makes sense in the logic of the film because it, it's just like when they shifted dimensions obviously these things in the ship were like transmuted inside the guy, but like the stuff sure. with Chris O'Dowd and also his death scene with like this weird gravity that eats him. None yeah, of that oh, makes any it sense. Looks like it's the not... fucking suit from Spider-Man Three. <laughs> sounds like a real uh, Moon Boy. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Uh, I I do have good news though. Uh, now that we're you know after after we're done trashing this wonderful new Cloverfield movie, um, my my cat just jumped up on the desk and he brought me my chapstick which i think was really nice, nice and thoughtful of him so that's pretty cool. Oh, that's cool yeah so that that's a good thing but yeah fuck cloverfield hey yeah speaking of netflix did you guys hear that max landis wrote the next star wars <laughs> yeah it's called bright bitches <laughs> like lax mandis he, he literally he literally said that after he finished the script from bright he felt like he had he'd written like the next star wars movie so uh, Myros, you watched Bright. I don't hate myself enough to watch Bright. Uh, what is is it the best movie you've ever seen? Is it the next Star Wars? Uh, maybe if uh, Star Wars was filmed entirely in a dark cave. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Maybe Max Landis' script is great. Probably not, but I think you can hand David Ayer's Star Wars and it'd be the worst fucking pile of shit ever made. So uh, that's true. Are you are you say, are you saying a film that has the line "Fairy lives don't matter today" before oh Will Smith beats a fairy to death with a broomstick is a good script? I'm saying yeah. uh, wow. that might be David Ayer's uh, pervasive influence. That doesn't seem like something that puny Max Landis would write. <laughs> well, uh, he did tweet about that. He said, "I think it was an ad lib from Will Smith, but I don't remember." How does he not uh-huh. know? You wrote the fucking thing. Does I don't not have a copy of it? Yeah, bring up, bring up that Microsoft Word document, motherfucker. Yeah. And to clarify, no, I'm not saying it was a good script. I'm saying no, I, that I, it doesn't matter if it was a good script because the director is human garbage. So there you go. Well, it's a match made in heaven because uh, as far as I'm concerned, Max Land is also human garbage. Yeah. Why so, is, yeah, why is uh, he allowed to keep a... doing things, by the way? Before we talk about that? Bright. Why is, why is Max Landis allowed to do things? Nepotism. Nepotism. John Landis John has Landis. that much pull. John fucking yeah. Landis. Yeah, yeah he's like kill, Spielberg's pal. Oh. You kill one actor and two Vietnamese children, you're fine. 
Yeah, then you get a free pass for life from Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, Lord. All right, Jake, what the fuck is Bright about? All right, so Bright uh, takes place in essentially south-central Los Angeles, but it's in an alternate universe where orcs and elves and dragons are part of the world's races, and they live amongst human beings. And Will Smith is a cop, and his partner is an orc. And one day they're on duty, and Will Smith's shot by a another orc, and so he really hates having an orc ride in his squad car with him. Then they uh, basically untangle this mythical conspiracy involving brights, which are supernatural creatures that can use a magic wand that all the races and gangs in L.A. are after because it fulfills everybody's dreams. And it's some sort of uh, political allegory, I guess. And uh, as Adam Iros mentioned, it's uh, lit with mostly broken flashlights. Oh, <laughs> wait. So does does Bright fix racism? I think that's what it's 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 doing here. Does it? No, Joel Joel Edgerton plays uh, Will Smith's orc uh, buddy, and uh, he gets shot, but the wand brings him back to life, and that's about that's about all the magic wand is used for. Oh yeah, he's yeah. the titular bright. Apparently, yeah. I didn't even gather that. I didn't gather anything from watching this movie because it's just—it's literally visually indecipherable. I, I cannot like it, it, it's impossible to watch. Yeah, it, it's so dark and uh, <laughs> it, it, it just flows past your eyeballs. It, It's—I have no idea what the plot of that movie is because I could not see it. And we were mentioning that the Cloverfield Paradox is derivative of all these sci-fi films. Bright is derivative of David Ayer films. Like, this just Harsh Times. Um, what's the Jake Gyllenhaal cop movie? End of Watch. End of Watch. Yeah, a little bit of Suicide Squad. It's just all these movies mixed together in a mushy brown blender and vomited into Netflix. And it costs $80 million, but Holy all these shit. movies are expensive, and they but they look terrible. I have yet to see a Netflix released movie, except for maybe Mudbound, that looks any good. Yeah, that's that's a good mm. point. Because Cloverfield was what fifty, sixty million, something. Like I that. like forty million, something 40 like million? that. Yeah, Meyerowitz, Meyerowitz looked fine. I haven't seen that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I think we got to draw a distinction between things that Netflix is just buying and right. things yeah, that yeah. They're, they're actually producing too. Because I mean, even their TV series, like. They're kind of leading that HDR 4K charge, and uh, so some of the only things you can you can kind of test your TV out with are, are Netflix streaming shows. Like, and I watched that fucking Punisher thing, and I I thought my TV was broken. <laughs> uh, it, it just looks disastrous. <laughs> Jesus, uh, I well, the, Mar- the Marvel shows are all bathed in heavy shadows because they're supposed to be dark, you know. Gritty. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's. I, I don't really like the house style they're developing, and uh, but this strategy seems to be working. Apparently, Bright was tremendously successful, and I I've got to assume, considering what the Cloverfield paradox is, that it it's been a successful enterprise to release it in this fashion. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know, man. I watched a I watched a Netflix uh, dumpuary movie. Oh, what you watch, Sean? Uh, the Open House. And I don't even know what that was. I thought you were talking about that Will Ferrell movie <laughs> from a few months ago. And I was like, that's not dumpuary. But then that's, Daddy's that's, Home too. No, that's just the oh, house. the house. Yeah, the house. It's a different the house. house. 
What the this hell is this? Is this is a us? lot like this? This is. Oh my god. We got we got uh, dogs. We got dogs. <laughs> the dogs are loose. Yeah. Jack jumped on the pod. Just who for, let him out? Was was it the Baja man again? Background sound. Uh, it's not Baja. my house for once. It's my it's my house. I muted my microphone. Sorry. Please continue. No, it's fine. Um, should be a a closed house for Jake. <laughs> Uh, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> the open house is uh, is is a, a horror movie from uh, just a couple weeks ago uh, in January, and it's a Netflix property, um, and it's starring Dylan Minnette, uh from Thirteen Reasons Why. Um, but basically, it's just like him and his mom, like after. After uh, his dad dies suddenly in the beginning, him and his mom leave uh, leave town to go to like this house that is on the market. It's like her sister's house, and it's on the market, but they're just like kind of staying there for a minute. But there's like strange stuff that happens, and I don't really know what all that means. But but basically a. Uh, Lunk in the fashion of Michael Myers is after them um, and chases them every once in a while. And there's literally no discernible reason uh, why anything is happening. But that's it. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that. It looked like one of these like fake haunted house movies where it, it seemed to fit in that sort of uh, trend that's been going on with like the killer in the wall sort of thing where it's like, ooh, ghosts in the house. And it's like, no, there's secretly a murder man in the basement. So. I did it. Yeah, I was paying like decent attention. It wasn't just like on in the background. Like I was I was I was watching and I don't I, I don't know why, where things come from. I know that the open house spawned like some spooky stuff, but there seems to be a real life bad guy. You never see his face or anything like that, but it's it's real bad. Like uh, we saw another uh, horror film in 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 Dumpyweary that that was heavy on the jump on the on the jump scares. Uh, that's all the open house has, and it has it in even fewer numbers. So it's really just kind of like super lame. Well, pretty much every horror movie I've ever seen has uh, fewer of those than, uh, <laughs> than the one we watched this evening. So, we'll which get to was. That, uh, I don't know if we'll transition there, but we we did see uh, Helen Mirren in uh, Winchester. Ooh, is it the next Bye Bye Man? That's an actual theatrical release we're talking about now. Uh, this was more like Lose Chester. Wow, that's that's a great back of the box quote. Thank you so much, Sean, for this valuable contribution. <laughs> No, we saw this. Uh, I don't know, Myros. Can you describe what the hell is going on in Winchester? Uh, Winchester. Th- this is one of these based on a true story sort of horror movies, uh, which isn't really based on a true story, other than this Winchester mystery house nonsense thing actually exists, where there was kind of a a lunatic heir of the uh, Winchester repeating rifle fortune who just continuously built a house like night and day nonstop until they died, uh, which in this uh, film is, is 
given meaning in some sense beyond insanity that uh, she is building the house to placate ghosts, but not really, I guess, to to make ghosts come to her house. And uh, it's fucking stupid, but yeah, there's <laughs> there, there's uh, like some sort of a southern soldier who has a vendetta against the Winchester family and haunts them and. That's basically the plot. And, uh, you know, 10,000 jump scares. Like, this thing literally, like, every 30 <laughs> seconds, it was like, here comes another one. Oh, my God, another one. Uh, yeah, I you wouldn't recommend like it tell. to people with, like, a heart condition because it's not scary, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's got Jason Clark from Mudbound, um, and he plays, like, this guy who's there to, like uh, – um, appraise the health of he- Helen Mirren, I guess, but he's got his own uh, history, of course, uh, that he's dealing with in this situation. But uh, yeah, it, and and he kind of plays like sort of this reluctant, I don't know, anti-hero uh, that saves the day. But yeah, it's just like jump scare after jump scare, and you can you know exactly like what's going. You 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 it develops a rhythm where you just know exactly when the next jump scare is gonna come and it's just like okay fine a close-up of a face i don't know what to tell you uh but it's 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 weird it it starts to get into all this iconography of like america's troubled troubled past like uh where some of the ghosts that appear are like uh you know slaves like african-american slaves in chains and like a native american that's just like standing there watching and uh there's some weird stuff about that which is like fine uh i mean it's not done well but like it, it starts to become like uh this weird allegory about american history and like this whole re like constant reconstruction of the house could mean something about you know our our, our past america's past and how we're constantly trying to 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 change it um change the narrative around it or whatever but uh it it doesn't really have anything to say about that the, those are just kind of like i don't know if this was written by somebody who had something to say and then it just got distilled uh into something sillier but um it has this weird thing where like jason clark goes into this green room that is like telegraphed from the beginning um and it turns into like this like 10 minute solaris scene where like his own guilt and past like manifests into his wife or something i don't know it's it, 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 it none of it connected for me yeah uh it it was really kind of a disappointing thing too because this premise does have some potential i mean the way that this house exists and is is kind of sold in the the open of the movie is this just great purposeless labyrinth that's that's like rooms upon rooms and it's like impossible to navigate and in the hands of a, a director who well a had more of a budget and uh, an edict behind his work uh and a vision that that it could have been really a remarkable setting for this sort of film but it, it the way it was presented on screen it, it felt like there it was about three rooms in the house there was a hallway <laughs> with some boarded up doors and 
there was uh, one staircase that led to nowhere, and then uh, the guy's bedroom. Oh, so and the garden room. You're saying that uh, the Spirig brothers of Jigsaw 2017 didn't have what it takes? Well, maybe they have what it takes, but I I don't know who produced this. Probably Bloomhouse because they produce every fucking thing. But uh, I don't know. I don't think they did. Uh, whoever did, it didn't give them. If if they have the goods, they were not given. Uh, it was an Australian to express production, them. I think. Ah ah okay, but yeah. Either way, it was. It was very obviously a cash-in sort of film. It was it, it. They paid for Clark and they paid for Helen Mirren, and they paid for literally nothing else. There's there's no other competent actors in the film. The mm-hmm. set design is just bland and lazy. Uh, in it's a, a film real that, dumpuary movie, right? In a film that should be hyper reliant on on set design, this was lacking in that respect. It, it basically just felt like the Conjuring. Uh, except shit. But yeah, the the end the end coda was one of my favorite things because uh, the climax involves these ghosts kind of like uh, destroying portions of the house, and then the in traditional shitty horror movie based on true story uh, fashion is of course a, a credit scrawl to, to tell us what happened to these good folk. And the first thing on the credit scrawl is like. The San Francisco earthquake of 1906 was the most damaging in U.S. history. Something I'm like, what? what? The earthquake wasn't mentioned in the film at all. <laughs> I'm like, what? What are we led to believe that the ghost destroying the house was like the cause of the San Francisco earthquake? Or <laughs> does it explain that at all? No, no, not no. at all. <laughs> it just like throws out a factoid about the San Francisco earthquake. Yeah, yeah, it was set in San Francisco in that year, so presumably the house. Interesting. It's like yeah, presumably the house was actually damaged by the earthquake and not the fucking ghost bros. But uh, here's your Snapple bottle cap fact. Of that but yeah, as as presented in the film, there was there was no mention of an earthquake. There was no uh, collateral damage outside of the house because God forbid that they would have to film something other than this. <laughs> <laughs> this house so it it just seemed really out of left field so does anybody know why helen mirren is in that movie like did she owe somebody a favor or something yeah. like helen mirren lost a bet <laughs> <laughs> nobody well, knows we know. have we have no clue why helen mirren took this oh somebody think it's a favor in, like I think it's interesting that like, we were just talking about horror movies because usually when i think about like dump you like dump month movies like they're usually horror films like they're like yeah they're usually genre like, stuff yeah exactly like and or, or like acts and stuff which we'll get to in a second but like i think it's interesting that you know because dump months don't always contain bad movies like sometimes there's great movies like last year get out came in february came out in february and like now that's like <laughs> That's obviously one of the best movies of last year. It's nominated, and it's for... also a genre movie. Exactly, and so it's like I don't, yeah, I, I think it's this. Weird, I think it's sort of changing, and like you know, everybody's hyped for Black Panther in a couple weeks, and by all accounts, that's supposed to be good. And so it's like I don't know, maybe it's shifting. I don't know, but yeah, sure. And Ooh, I, I, I think that the studios didn't think anything of Get Out. I think that's the reality as well. Is I think they didn't have any idea what to do with that film, and that's why it ended up in Dumpy Worry. I don't think that they expected a hit out of that. 
Yeah, hmm. I, I agree completely. And, and the other part of this, too, is I feel like summer blockbuster season is creeping closer and closer, like, into spring. You know, summer blockbuster season. Oh, it starts in May, actually April. And now we have Black Panther coming out, what, the, the first week of March, the end of February? Like, that's... Mid-February. Mid-February. Yeah. yeah, so it just keeps creeping back and back and back. And, yeah, I, I don't well, know. Well, maybe they saw what Get Out could do. Yeah, and Split Split did super well too last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, a, and another movie I think that the studio had no faith in, given Shyamalan's right. recent. Well, they were both Blumhouse too. Well, I yeah. didn't have any faith in it either, but I guess what do I know? Well, well it's, think, it's not good, but that's. Do you right. think, in terms of Get Out and Black Panther, do you think like Black History Month had some sort of sway, like sort of was a factor in a February release? Yeah, I don't let's, see why you have to get so political about yeah, all my art. Let's ask, let's ask the, re- the resident black person on the podcast. Yeah. Adam Myros. Uh Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, honestly, oh. like, the cynical part of me thinks that there's just, like, four old white dudes sitting around, and it's just like, you know, uh, you know, February is it's Black History Month, so let's, uh, let's, you know, let's throw up some. Let's give them a little something. But I, I don't know <laughs> if that has anything to do with it, to be honest. I, I think Black Panther definitely does because every move sure. that they make is is very calculated yeah yeah no that's that's fair that's fair uh yeah well hey uh speaking of of action movies i think it's it's time to talk about a, a great dumpuary film because here at optimismvaccine.com uh on the opvacast specifically as everyone knows we support the motherfucking troops okay <laughs> oh god i forgot about this movie oh okay don't you ever forget all right. <laughs> I won't forget a. I won't forget about a war that's literally still happening. Uh, so, Eric, Sean, you both saw Nine Eleven Pony Boys, aka Twelve Strong. Tell me about it. I will let Eric take this one because I like. I would say I watched it in like air quotes. I watched a cam rip, and even then, I was just kind of like it was kind of on. Uh, Eric, Eric, actually, I think Eric probably did what none of us have the balls to do, frankly, mm-hmm. which is sit in a movie theater uh, with no distractions and for 130 minutes and watch 12 strong. That's right. You know, and I, I heard I heard Eric actually saw it six. Yeah, times. Eric's the real hero here. Yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, um, he's trying to he's trying to go for 12 times for each of the 12 strong, because if you're going to if you're going to own the libs, you got to go see 12 strong 12 times. <laughs> No, yeah, I did see this in a theater um, for some reason. Uh, I, I th- as part of my, I thought, I thought for some reason this might be like a hit at the box office. Apparently, it did fine, but it wasn't like it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't anything special. But um, yeah, it's about these twelve soldiers. They were apparently like the first wave of troops that got sent into Afghanistan after nine eleven and. Um, right. They rode horses at some point, and that's why they're called the horse soldiers. Um, forty minutes in, it takes forty minutes to get on a fucking horse. I know, yeah, exactly. Like, and, and it's just like, and the horses aren't like an integral part of like their success of their mission or anything. Like, they just kind of ride around. Not even all of them ride horses. Like, like half of them ride horses what? in the movie. That's like yeah, for like two for like two minutes, and then it's it's like now they're just the horse soldiers. So like I don't know. There's a lot about this movie that I just like don't get. <sighs> it's just like it's like like for, it take it you know 
Sean complained that it took 40 minutes to get on a horse. Like it took 50 minutes for them, for me to like figure out like, okay, like what's the drive of the plot here? Like what's, what's the goal? Like what's like, I get that. Like it's like nine 11 and they're coming into yeah. the war in Afghanistan. I get like that there, but like what specifically is like the story here? Like what are they doing? And apparently it's like, they're going in to like capture this city to like stop Al Qaeda from getting it's like I don't I don't even really know it's so it's it's so vague because I it's obviously the point of the movie is like just soldiers in war and blowing shit up and it's I don't know but like it's it's oddly boring and low stakes for a move and or at least feels so low stakes for a movie whose inciting incident is nine eleven. Like it's just like I don't like, like for like for a movie where it's like one of like the most important events of like the past like hundred years, and it's like that's like where your movie starts, and then the rest of it is just so bleh, and it's just like yeah, it, it's, like that doesn't make sense. Like <laughs> it's got a weird cast too. It has um has Chris Hemsworth who's like this captain who's uh, has no experience but is showing people that you know he has what it takes. Uh, Michael Shannon, who's just basically non-existent. How, how, uh, do you, how, do, how is Michael Shannon uninteresting? Like, how does that happen? I don't uh, understand. Like, I like I never. Anyway, continue, Sean. You got uh, <laughs> Michael Pena playing Michael Pena, uh, <laughs> nice guy who is a geography teacher or something like that, or a history teacher. Uh, Trevante Rhodes it does not come off well at all. Um, Jeff Stoltz, who's just like your plug-in man. He was also in <laughs> Only the Brave doing the same exact role. Uh, I would be surprised if he could tell a difference like between these two movies like five years from now. Um, William Fickner, doing William Fickner uh, really poorly. And Rob Riggle, everyone's favorite comedy uh, character actor Rob Riggle. Rob. Uh, <laughs> it, it's really, it's really weird. I mean, uh, it's, especially, yeah, which is weird for like a movie about nine eleven because like Rob Riggle doesn't really do anything else. Uh, but well, he was it, a Marine once upon a time. <laughs> great, good for him. Oh, this, so this is a real fifteen seventeen to Paris situation. It is. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I was gonna ask, would you rather watch the Hor- Horse Soldiers movie twelve times or fifteen seventeen once? I'll let you know seventeen tomorrow. once. Um, but it, it's, I haven't even it, seen. That I haven't even crazy. seen. I haven't even seen fifteen seventeen yet, and I know that I will like this more than twelve strong. We'll <laughs> yeah, see about that, Eric. Like, um, Twelve Strong is is just like excruciatingly familiar in every single way, and like the setup mm-hmm. with like the wives being like, "You better come home, I'm gonna be waiting Uh-oh. for you," and then like you know you could care less about like you don't know wives exist five minutes into this movie. Oh yeah, um, it is. I love how they insert that like one completely pointless scene just to remind you that they're there. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it is that they're, they're well, just talking about, well, I made a promise to come home. It's just like every, like, military, like, war hero cliche, like, well, just thrown yeah. into a movie. If the Cloverfield Paradox was, like, every space movie cliche pumped into there, like, this is 12, like, that's what 12 Strong is, just like for, except for, like, military movies. 
How would you know though if you, in, unless you saw them with their 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 nice caring wives in the beginning that they weren't homosexuals? <laughs> That's true. Or uh, good good upstanding men who have families and are uh, doing good for society and uh, yeah. carrying on the species. Wait, I uh, think this movie'd be a lot better if they like the towers fall and the government was like, "Okay, like the only thing we can do right now is send in twelve guys on horses. That's all we have. So they go in, and then they're like, "Wait a second, this is fucking stupid. We're on horses. There's only twelve of us, and they all just fuck." Right? No, this they, is send in, they send in fucking Mr. Haynes. I really wish. <laughs> yeah. I really wish there would have been some like subtext or like God. some sort of homoeroticism to this because like at least that would have been interesting. Like, oh yeah. If, well, if, no, that's a, that's what these movies are built on is like this homosocial like paradise uh that like you know where homosexuality is the subtext uh where it's just like uh you know they they are excited as soon as they get away from their wives and yeah. they're excited to be with each other to be with guys who kind of like are on the same wavelength and they can make jokes and they can pal around and they just know that they got each other's back and there's just a bond that you you can't have with with your life partner uh, and which is, is it's it's a trope in a movie, but uh, it's certainly real. That's a real thing. But uh, it's just weird that they have to like clarify, you know, that one. Like a lot of these movies don't really address that this is a thing, uh, unless it's like Point Break. But um, yeah, otherwise it's like uh, you know you don't have to like show us that they have these wives waiting. Like we you know mention it on the trip if you have to like. It doesn't matter. It doesn't lend us any pathos. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's it's just like to set them up as like these these nice people that that we should be rooting for. I don't know. I mean, I, if, if I'm watching the movie and I don't know that they're all straight married guys, then I'm just I'm assuming they're gonna get fucked by horses. Like I, I exactly. <laughs> yeah, I heard. The I am assuming. Was, yeah, I heard the original <laughs> title was Broke Horse Mountain. There we go. See, <laughs> you gotta set that up in a movie like this. It just it, the whole marketing campaign it reeks of Mr. Hands goes to war. Mm-hmm. Mr. Hands goes to war. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Hands uh, the War Horse uh, Edition. Okay, wait. Follow up <laughs> question: uh, Is this movie twelve times better than War Horse? I've not seen War Horse. We'll have to get uh, Sophie on the pod to talk War Horse at is she, some point. Is she a War Horse enthusiast? Oh yeah. Is she a Mr. Hands enthusiast? Uh, absolutely not. Well, we don't, we don't know that, do, do we? I'm a I'm a zoo enthusiast. You're a zoo enthusiast. That's good. You're an enthusiast. Yeah, I'm a enthusiast. <laughs> oh, sweet lord! Uh, hey, zoo is a documentary for all of our listeners. If, yeah. In case you don't know, watch it with yeah. your family. Yeah, Sean, you're not supposed to tell people this. Just, yeah, just let them <laughs> Google Mister Hands think- and find out for themselves. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I thought you were gonna say just let them think that I just love going to the zoo. <laughs> Jesus, that's loves it, loves it. <laughs> you should see this guy at the Penguin House. He just loses his shit. It's great. <laughs> Little Sean loves the zoo. Uh, guys, I will not. Uh, I will never buy one though. Yeah, no, don't do it. Matt Damon tried that. It didn't work out too well for him. Uh, yeah. Speaking of shitty size. action movies, it wouldn't be a dumpuary <laughs> without Liam Neeson making the same movie for like the eighth fucking time. We talked about this a little bit, I feel like, on the last episode, but uh, I saw The Commuter and it fucking sucked. Um, <laughs> I think Myros had some some things to add that that he wasn't on the last pod. Uh, sure, sure. So, 
I mean, so just to give you a rundown, if you've seen Taken, if you've seen uh, what's the the Taken on an airplane movie? What's it called? Nonstop, I think. And run all night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, They're they're all the same thing, and it's just Liam Neeson, and he gets himself into a little bit of a pickle, and he's got to kick some ass and be a dad and save the day. And uh, this one also, the commuter specifically reminds us that hashtag Blue Lives Matter. So that's that's a really great subtext that. I enjoyed immensely, and by enjoyed immensely, I wanted to gouge my eyes out. Myros, what, what, what did you think of this one? Uh, I man, this is a really fucking dumb, dumb script. Like so dumb as to have a uh, the villain be named Alex Murphy. I'm like, what? How did this get through? Like a rewrite? So like, oh yeah, let's have a direct RoboCop reference for no reason. <laughs> and and yeah, there's also a big fucking stupid spartacus climax which is just like oh my good god, god, man. Oh god enough yeah. with this fucking Dude, shit the spartacus moment i was just like oh shit are they gonna do a spartacus and then they did it they had the balls to do a spartacus <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's just one of the lazier scripts i mean it, it's uh, as for all the movies we've discussed here then i guess see the commuter <laughs> but, uh, I, I would say i would say uh that uh in in the Commuter, Winchester, and a a movie that uh, I will talk about next. I, I I fell asleep in the theater at least for part of all of them. That's good. Uh, Winchester, you must have fallen asleep in like micro naps, Scott. Every time that's what like, it was. It's like, it's like, like jumps. Ah! <laughs> that's ex- that's like exactly the jump what scares that go up for time. That's exactly Winchester. What Winchester. I hardly know her. Oh, great joke, Jake. I'm proud of that one. Yeah, Thanks. I think maybe, maybe I retract that. Maybe I liked Winchester better than The Commuter because, I don't know, there's like a a sack-headed boy, which is such cliche. The second it came on the screen, I just started laughing my ass off. Ooh, sack boy? <laughs> Sign yeah. me up. There, oh. There's a sack boy, and uh, he's a sack boy because the killer murdered a bunch of people with a sack on his head, but the sack doesn't have eye holes in it, so it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff? I, but, I thought uh, you were making a racist statement about the commuter. <laughs> no, the commuter. I, have, I, I was I like, make, holy cow. <laughs> I will make no statement about the commuter. It is a movie that is a movie, I'm, and that is all. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a bold statement about the commuter. Um, and it, here's, here's what you need to know. If you're asking yourself, should I see the commuter? Basically, you need to answer yes to one of two questions. Do you enjoy watching the same Liam Neeson movie over and over again? As many people do. If the answer is yes, go see The Commuter. It's more of the same. You'll enjoy it. Um, Second question. Maybe you're not so familiar with Liam Neeson making the same movie a thousand times. Maybe you're an old person. Maybe you're my dad. uh, And you're like, man, I, I I love old Charles Bronson movies. And I go, hey, what if... You could watch an old Charles Bronson movie like Death Wish 2, but it was just slightly less racist. Uh, and, and then you go, yeah, okay, I can, get on, I can get on board with that. If you're my dad, you're like, wait, can it be more racist? <laughs> this is slipping. Oh, PC yeah. culture. Uh, and, and then I go, no, dad, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's 2018. This is what you're going to get. You can't, they can't all be Death Wish 2, dad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, our dads all got off board with the. It started railing against Wall Street fat cats. I'm like, wait, I love those guys. Yeah. They're the best. <laughs> They're great. 
Oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, so fuck the commuter unless you're, I don't know, a semi-racist dad instead of a fully racist dad. Then you're cool with it. Uh, other than that, I, I guess the only other movie in Dumpyware that, that we've seen is, and I, I haven't seen it, and actually I don't think anyone saw it except for Sean Glynnis. What, what the fuck was Proud Mary all about? Because that trailer made me want it to be good, and then apparently it wasn't. Yeah, it was a really weird case. Uh, so Taraja P. Henson uh, is the titular Proud Mary, and it had a, a pretty good marketing scheme until it didn't at all. Uh, it had like this really cool poster um, with like where like uh, her like afro took up like an animated afro that was like a bunch of um, like crime paraphernalia in in the afro. Um, that was really cool and um <clears throat> the the trailer was fine and then uh the movie starts and there's animation sequence with the credits that's like this this really like uh black exploitation throwback thing and that's pretty cool and then it completely ditches that but even before that there was a really weird thing with um sony just like stop promoting this at all like they they even like turned some people away like who had bought tickets on thursday night uh including critics um because they just like they they stopped doing any marketing um for a minute like right before it came out and put up an embargo i think that was pretty late and then uh yeah literally wouldn't let uh theaters show the movie until midnight on friday um, which is just like super, just like sort of eye, eye raising. And, um, that kind of made me excited to see it and I, just to see what the, the hell was wrong with it. Um, but it, it's nothing outlandishly bad. It's, it's just like really, really lame. Um, it's, it's kind of like Taraji B. Henson does John Wick is kind of like the, the most like base way to describe it. Like it's kind of an excuse to get her to like by people and like kick ass or whatever. And, um, it, it's like the laziest action scenes, like it's edited and shot by, well, it's shot by the same person who shot shape of water, oddly enough, but, um, the lighting is fine or whatever, I guess. But, uh, the action stuff is just so bad and it doesn't cut when it should, like when you're like hiding stuff. So it just like, is this really awkward, terrible shootouts and the dialogue's really bad and Donald Glover is in it and um uh is he's just like wait it, Don, wait is it Danny Glover Danny Glover's in it uh, not Lando as you say was it childish gambino or was it uh Danny Glover that's that's different it was Murta and um <laughs> And no, he he's definitely fishy. he definitely is like he's like lumbering like uh he makes um he makes uh Harrison Ford and Blade Runner look like dexterous. Uh he he's just like lumbering around barely speaking, he's like oh, no, no, you gotta stay in the family which is not so <laughs> much of a Brando, Brando? Uh, yeah, is... <laughs> impression. But uh I don't know. It's this weird thing where like she is supposed to be this ruthless, you know, she's a professional killer, but um, in the day-to-day stuff, like, the film doesn't have the guts to, like, give her an edge, like, doesn't have the guts to give her character an edge of, like, a killer. Like, you would never think in the day-to-day scenes that she would be a killer professionally, which, sure. so it kind of just loses all credibility. Um, 
I will say, though, it takes place in Boston, and this is like the first Boston movie with black people I've seen in decades, probably. So that was kind of nice. And one that didn't, that wasn't like, you got to nail the accent. You got to be stronger. You got to be stronger. Uh, and you gotta go to the docks, uh, and you gotta and, uh, have a cheeseburger, to... Wahlburgers. Yeah, yeah. And so, is it, KCF it was... like joining us tonight? <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was refreshing in a very, in a very minor note. It was refreshing to see a movie take place in Boston that wasn't the same old garbage uh, about Boston representation. But yeah, it, it's it's bad, and, and it's one of those things that nobody's ever going to see it again. Oh, that's that's great. I was really uh, which like sucks a... because Taraj B Henson was coming off of Hidden Figures, which you know I'm not I'm not a fan of Hidden Figures, but uh, she was she, that movie was gangbusters. That movie made a ton of money, and then all of a sudden, like Sony decided not to promote her in this, and, which is just kind of weird. Like she, it seems like the time to really like cash in on the the Henson name. Um, and her next movie is a Tyler Perry movie. Which uh, is like a tour de fair movie, which who knows could be fun. It looks kind of like a, wait, a wait, fair wait, wait, wait. revenge. Is it? Is it? Medea goes to space. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that series that has really is... jumped the shark. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you should have called it Cloverfield, Mary. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, no, but like. So yeah, that's her next movie, and who knows? Uh, maybe maybe it'll be good. But I, I I hope that I hope that I hope that I get to see a good Taraj P Henson movie. Um, but anyway, uh, other than that, I mean that's all I have to say about Proud Mary. But there is one movie that none of us saw that I just remembered uh, that is also action, and that oh. is Den of, Den of Thieves, which well from what I've heard is like a VOD classic that hit the silver screen. It's oh. a, apparently a shitty Heat remake. Oh, yeah, that's great. 50 Cent. 50 Cent made it big on Bitcoin, so he's like, let's put this one in theaters. I mean, <laughs> honestly, if, if you sell a movie to me as it's Heat, but like 50 Cent's in it, I kind of want to watch that. I'm, I'm into it. I'm 100% into that. <laughs> and yet you didn't. All right, well, here's – imagine it's Heat, but Al Pacino is replaced by Gerard Butler. Ooh. That's so terrible. Pro- Don't sound like that's enticing. <laughs> <laughs> so Proudberry is the director of London Has Fallen, and Den of Thieves is the writer of London Has Fallen. Those yeah, yep. Really ruined Dumpty Wear these. <laughs> and we and we had the the two guys that did uh, the shitty Saw movie from last year. So it's yeah. like once you're once you're a dump daddy, you're a dump daddy for life. That's how it works. <laughs> it's like you get beaten to the gang, and then you just you're just branded with Dumpty Wary and that's it. I like that. Once you're a dump daddy, you're a dump daddy for life. How do you guys think that this year's uh, Dumpuary stacks up to last year's. There's no Bye Bye uh, Man, so fuck it. Not as, not as memorable. I still remember how awful the Bye Bye Man was, and Bright is, and Cloverfield are quickly fading from my memory. Yeah. What else was there besides Bye Bye Man and Monster Trucks? There was Split. Um, There's another big mm, one. Mm, mm. Uh, Xander Cage. Xander Cage. Xander yep. Cage. That's right. Let That's was why fun. this year sucks. Yeah. I, wish, I wish the commuter was as, as fun as Xander Cage. Yeah, yeah. I would, they, I would the, take that. Snoozer. I had high hopes for The Commuter, too, because I liked The Shallows, which is the director's last movie. Oh, yeah. And, like, and this was just, again, it was, again, it was like 12 Strong. It's just so bleh. Sure. Just so, 
like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's just not a lot going on. Uh, I gotta say though, like I, I think going back to like the Bye Bye Man and past Dumpuaries, my my favorite Dumpuary movie of all time was when uh, me and and Sean's girlfriend Sophie conspired to make him like every single Bye Bye Man related Facebook page. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know that that had happened. Which it was awesome because like he he we made him like the bye bye man like Portugal page and all kinds of weird shit. <laughs> so yeah, so, his, his timeline was pretty awesome for a while, basically. That, so this just spontaneously prompted a question in my head: what is what is everyone's favorite film that was released in January of any year? Ooh, and late late Oscar releases don't count. Shit, I don't know. Well, what do I have a list in front of me? I don't know. I, 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 yeah, and it's yeah. okay if you're not prepared. I, I just feel remember. Like, Myros, I thought yours was like The Gray. That's not a January release, is it? It was January 27th, 2012. That's the answer. Yeah, that's a good fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> the Gray's good. Think. Shout out to Liam Neeson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say uh, Steven Soderbergh's Haywire. Oh, that was a yeah. January release. That's I like that one. one. Too. That's also a good fucking movie. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's not all bad. Um, mine was oh, <laughs> because we did a post about Dumpuary like back in oh uh, god, uh, 2014. But my pick uh, hasn't aged well. <laughs> it was uh, Woody Allen's Cassandra's Dream. Oh, no. not good. <laughs> Um, uh, why, why don't you why and, don't you double down and yeah. say that um, the the video on demand release of uh, Louis C.K.'s "I Love You, Daddy"? Just just go with that. <laughs> I I believe uh, I believe you monster. guys were also fans of Dread 3D. Oh yeah, that's oh, yeah, also that's a, good a good movie. One. That's very was that dumpy? Oh. Yeah, and Cuff also uh, no. actually Cuffs was a was a good one, which was World's Greatest Dad. Oh yeah, World's Greatest Dad is fantastic. That's a good one. No. I'm pretty sure Dread came out in fall. Fall, you were yeah, it came out September 21st. Well, you know what? In our You're hearts welcome. and minds, it's it's a it's a WRA movie. <laughs> no, well, that's a legitimately good movie. We'll extinguish that from the records. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> rushing to this 2014 uh, oh, post of ours. I mean, and and there's been there's been some big like uh, wasn't Silence of the Lambs a WRA movie? I'm pretty sure that was released in January. Somebody fact check me on this one but uh, i don't know i mean i, 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 I don't even like that movie but it that's that's a movie that you could say and no one would ever if judge get you out counts i mean that's that's the obvious answer yeah, get out, get out is the obvious answer yeah so. silence lambs was uh released on valentine's day oh. oh that's good 27th anniversary next week hey how about that yeah. uh i'll tell you what guys let's uh <laughs> first of all it definitely take your significant other to go see Silence of the Lambs on on Valentine's Day. That's that's a great date night. Also, yes. uh, take her into your house where you rented it. Yeah, <laughs> tell tell her you're going to see the new Fifty Shades movie and just take her to Silence of the Lambs. Probably less horrifying. Probably less horrifying. Although I did hear it described as oh god, what was it? Um, something with butt plugs. Oh, Memento with butt plugs. Memento with butt plugs. <laughs> Because I, I I love that writer because uh, as he asserts the no five minute period of the movie has anything to do with the f- previous five minutes of the movie. So. <laughs> I know that's why people don't understand this. Like I, I really feel like in twenty years, 
like the Fifty Shades movies are going to they're, they're going to go through a whole like critical reassessment because they are fucking hilarious. The hardest <laughs> I have ever laughed in a movie theater was when I saw Fifty Shades Darker. I was like crying, like the part where he crashes his helicopter, and then ninety seconds later he's like, "I'm fine," and then. <laughs> And then 90 seconds after that, it's just like, oh, this has nothing to do with the plot. Fuck the helicopter. Why did this even happen? Like, I, I was just tears streaming down my face. <laughs> Fucking beautiful. Okay? Nobody should ever shit on a Fifty Shades of Grey movie. I don't care if Christian Grey fucks with his pants on, because he does. The whole movie, he fucks with his pants on. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's hilarious. This is like diesel jeans. He does. That's what he does. He's just like, I'm going to take you to the Red Room of Pain, but I won't take off my Levi's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got to leave something to the imagination. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, Sean, what are, you, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I think I'm going to put over... I'm trying to choose between two things. I think I'm going to pick... Uh, Coco, a talking gorilla from 1978, which, uh, so that's a Barbet Schroeder, Schroeder, I don't know, he's a French dude, but um, Coco, talking gorilla documentary from 1978, which uh, premiered in Cannes 40 years ago, uh, this this year, so uh, it's a great occasion to do it, it's on Criterion, um, it's about uh, the titular Coco, who's a talking gorilla. Um, but, uh, more than that, it's, it's about, um, this doctor that works with Coco and her relationship with Coco, uh, day in and day out and sort of her devotion to take care of Coco. Um, it's just kind of like these like verte, uh, scenes of just them, like just doing everyday activities. Um, and it's, it's pretty precious, but also, um, it gets, it, gets pretty political uh in that um coco it could at any time you know be sent to a zoo to be and like be murdered like be sent to a zoo to be exploited or be murdered somewhere uh by by someone like you know it's it, so wait, wait, it wait. Exists. i thought you loved zoos yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey the 70s were different man um but uh, no, it, it's just about sort of like caring for something that uh, nobody else is asking you to care for. Um, it's sort of a testament to that idea. Um, and, and it also gets into, you know, the intelligence of these animals. Um, but it, it's just fascinating to watch. It's a short movie and it's it's lovely. It, it, it's I think it would work with kids as as well as adults. All right. Good choice, Sean. Uh, Myros, what are you putting over, and why is it Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes? Uh, a classic. Uh, <laughs> Sean, Sean's pick sounds like an interesting sort of pairing with uh, Project Nim, which, uh, yeah, mm. you want you want to, like, hang yourself. Pop that one on. Do um, I ever. <laughs> I, I'm putting over I haven't really seen anything of note so I'm I'm just going to put over uh, the 1517 to Paris because it, it's about time someone celebrated the real heroes <laughs> that's right that's good and uh, you, know, you know what I'm not putting over I'm putting under Eric Bailey because he didn't, he didn't respect the troops by enjoying 12 Strong <laughs> I apologize Yeah. You, well that hey, one's got the fucking fake heroes Steve he's, he's gonna <laughs> He's holding up for the Chris real Hemsworth. Heroes. Yeah, 
You know he didn't what? actually go to Iraq Listen. or Afghanistan or whatever the fuck. Like, you know, Eric, Eric, don't <laughs> apologize to me. Apologize to those fucking heroes out there, okay? The ones who laid on the fucking line. God, what are you putting over, Eric? Um, I'm putting over the Netflix series American Vandal, which I just binged watched last weekend. I didn't expect to. I usually like to sort of take my time with shows, but I just sort of... It grabbed me. It um, for anybody who doesn't know about it, it's that um, that mockumentary about all the dick graffiti. Basically, you might know it colloquially as. Um, yeah. It's about um, a, an incident at a high school in suburban California where someone spray paints penises all over the all over the uh, the cars of the teachers in the teacher parking lot, and there's and all security camera footage gets deleted so nobody knows who it is and the school board basically pins it on this one kid be this kid dylan who it's sort of like if there's one kid in the whole school who like just you would have immediately thought did it it's like it's this kid um but then there's a sort of a wannabe young filmmaker who's a sophomore at the school who sort of doesn't find their argument convincing and sort of starts looking for the truth of like did this kid actually did it, do it if he didn't who did and it's it's a mockumentary it's it's hilarious like it is you know ignore the sort of sophomoric humor of that's that you might think it it is all it's going to be based on the premise um because it's funny but like i found it's like within the last couple episodes i was like genuinely gripped by like who like who actually did it and it's an interesting sort of take on uh, on on sort of the ethics of documentary filmmaking, and even though it's not a real documentary, but it, it challenges those issues of like ethics and journalism and like what motivates documentary filmmakers. And it's also just like a really um, it's a really like kind of it has like a lot of insight and, and it's it's sort of a real very realistic portrayal of like high school social dynamics and like that sort of very specific like suburban high school milieu um that like it, it you know it's 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 a lot of it's played for comedy but it's also like very true like there's this whole bit about like they're trying to decide if like this girl was actually into this guy based on like she added a second y to her hey in a text message and it's like it's played for a joke but it's also like i can totally see teenagers debating like whether this girl's into you Based whether she put like one or two Y's in in her haze, and so like it's 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 funny, it but it's also like it's incredibly gripping, like which is weird to say about like I didn't expect to say that about the show, but yeah, it's called American Vandal, and it's on Netflix, and it's it's great. All right, uh, Jake, what are you putting over this week? Uh, ideally, I would like to put over the uh, again the co- audio commentary on the Blu-ray for Showgirls because I don't think you guys <laughs> heeded my advice and listened to it last time. But uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna put over Aki Kawazaki's Le Havre. Um, I've been making my way through his box set of his that I got, and uh, this was quite a quite a delightful surprise to film about uh, a simple shoe shiner who. Meets and befriends and helps a, a young boy who uh, is an immigrant from Africa and he's trying to get back with his family. And uh, the police are um, out to bless you, whoever. And uh, the police are out to uh, find him, 
but um, the shoe shiner is really doing all he can to help and get this boy home safely. It's a very interesting film, and I drew a lot of parallels with it from uh, like our recent watch of Paddington 2, um, where Sean mentioned that this is a film that it's about like helping those who are in need and not necessarily at an advantage. And also with a lot of what's going on politically in our world, I found it to be a very touching and relevant picture, but also one that um, inspires optimism. And, uh, and all of Karazmaki's characters feel like genuine, real people, like the, even the ostensible antagonist who is the police officer. He's, he's not like a cartoon character. He feels like a real person. And I just thought it was a film that is very much steeped in humanity and it's very beautifully shot. Um, the, I, the film itself is available also on Criterion if you don't have the box set, which I don't think many people do. But uh, yeah, Le Havre, it's a, it's a beautiful, touching, wonderful movie. It's and there's, also, a, there's a dog in it, too. Oh, that's that's true. It's also on Filmstruck, too, if you have that. But um there you go. Uh, and that, that I, I agree with everything Jack, Jake said, um, but uh, unfortunately that's irrelevant because I put it over last episode, so everyone has already Ooh, watched it. Ooh, yeah. That's okay. That, I'm, that's all right, fine. I'm putting over uh, Lone Wolf. Everyone right now is like, yeah, we the... saw it, Jake. We all sat down <laughs> to watch it. I'm putting over Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, Baby Cart, in the land of uh, oh. River Six. That's a good one no, too. I'm very, good very, I'm very glad you watched. I'm, I'm very glad you watched that movie because uh, it's it's the best thing I've seen this year, and I don't. I, I would be surprised if that went away anytime soon. Yeah. Well, guys. Uh, Hashtag double put over. Double put over. Uh, These put overs are just getting awfully masturbatory here. I don't like this circle jerk bullshit. That's it's time right. to celebrate the real heroes. I know. I'm, I'm going to bring it back around. <laughs> first and foremost. First and foremost, uh, I, I want to put over the troops. And I, I really, I really think that you know we should probably throw a military parade for them because they deserve it. Uh, second, I want to put over Jake putting over the audio commentary on the Blu-ray for Showgirls. Uh, third, I I discovered this stuff called Mike's Hot Honey, and it is honey that has been infused with chili peppers. And it is the greatest condiment I have ever experienced in my fucking life. And I want to put it on everything. And you will, too. Buy that shit. Uh, third, I want to put over a movie that I, I randomly purchased on Blu-ray because it had a stupid name and an even stupider cover. Uh, and it's called The Sword and the Claw. And it's a Turkish exploitation movie from the 1970s, which, des- which is described on the back of the Blu-ray as Conan the Barbarian meets the Three Stooges meets Dolomite. <laughs> Which is about right. Um, it, it makes no sense at all. Turkish exploitation movies are actually hard to come by because most of them, uh, they, they rip off American movies so badly that like you can't actually get the rights to release them on home video, a la Turkish Star Wars. Uh, this <laughs> one is, it's, it's a fucking shit show, first of all. And the thing that really puts it over the top, though, is it has the worst dub I have ever heard in a film in my entire life. Like, out of any movie I've ever seen in my entire... It's, it's insane. It's like they, they just grabbed three homeless guys off the street, loaded them up with heroin, and then we're like, okay, do the voices for, like, 80 people. 
and it's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> Everyone needs to watch it. The Sword and the Claw. It is a fucking masterpiece. Also, the only <laughs> positive quote they could get to put on the on the Blu-ray, <laughs> it just says, "Dirtiest fighting ever," and that's from Kung Fu Express. So whatever that means. Uh, it's great. It's wonderful. Watch I want to put over one last thing, Steve. Oh my god! Well, well actually, I'm going to make you troops. put over one last thing. All right, what am I putting over? Uh, your recipe for Manhattan's. Hey, my recipe for Manhattan's is great. Uh, and if you want my recipe for Manhattan, uh, for a Manhattan, you can actually find me on Twitter at Steve Cuff, <laughs> or you can tweet us at Optimism Vaccine and say, "Hey guys, what's that recipe for for a Manhattan?" And I'll tell you what it is. Or you can email us, uh, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, and say, what's, what's your recipe for the perfect Manhattan, Steve? And I will give that to you, because I'm a man of the people. Uh, other than that, uh, Sean, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, at Mr. Glennis on Twitter. That's great. Jake, where do we find you? Uh, Jake Tropila, T-R-O-P-I-L-A. Eric, Twitter, Where? Eric Bailey. Bailey spelled B-A-Y-L-E-Y. Oh, look at that. Uh, Myros isn't on the internet because he lives on a farm. Anyways, uh, aside from the fact that Myros lives on a farm, make sure you go to our iTunes page. There's a link in the description of the very thing you are listening to right now. Go to that iTunes page. Give us a good rating and write a written review. It's super important. Why is it important? Because the more... Uh, reviews we get, especially positive ones, the, the easier it is for people to find us. And the easier it is for people to find us, the bigger we can grow, and we can give you more content, more more shit straight into your eardrums. So with that, gentlemen, thank you so much for celebrating this joyous dumpuary with me, and uh, we'll see you next time.